Hi there, welcome to the Second Adolescence Podcast. Here, we talk about all things queer healing and second adolescence. So what is second adolescence, you might ask? Second adolescence is a sort of developmental life stage queer people navigate in our post-coming out adult years after growing up within an anti-queer world. For many, second adolescence is about healing the wounds of our younger queer selves, gaining the experiences they missed out on, and unlocking what it means for us to exist as our most free and true selves. I am your host, Adam James Cohen, psychotherapist and human who went through his own second adolescence. On this week's episode, we have Patrick Carlos Olson, who is the person behind the Gay Surfing Magazine, podcast, and Instagram account, surfer.gay. That was the original reason I reached out to him to talk about the work he's doing to create inclusion of queer people within the sport of surfing, which has historically not been too welcome of a place for queer people. And so we started the conversation there, but gosh, this conversation went to so many other places. I felt so grateful for Patrick coming on to let us into his full experience, which included growing up in Norway as an adoptee and what it was like for him to navigate being of a different race as his peers, and then dealing with his budding sexuality and adolescence while growing up within a pretty conservative Christian part of Norway. He shares what his journey has been navigating adolescence and coming into his own as a young adult in his 20s. And so many things occurred in his journey that, ugh, I just, yeah, I'm going to stop talking and try to get us to that conversation so you can listen. I feel so grateful to him for letting us all into it. And as with each episode of Second Adolescence, I really want to invite you as listener to listen with open curiosity, knowing that each of our stories are different and unique. You might hear some guests share things that really differ from your experience, whereas other guests might share things that really speak to what you went through or are currently going through. And I really hope that all of this happens and that together we can continue growing and expanding our awareness of what life and queerness and healing can be for folks. If after the show you want to connect further, feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more, or you can follow the show on Instagram at, at Second Adolescence Pod. All right, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Second Adolescence. I'm so curious and excited to have you on, to get to know more about you and what you're up to and all of that. And before going anywhere, I'd like to invite the person on your end just to give a little mini introduction to who you are, just to give the listeners a little context to know who the person is behind the voice. Thank you for inviting me in here. Uh, My name is Patrick. I'm Norwegian or adopted Filipino Norwegian. And I'm currently in Norway, up in the mountains, hanging out, working with a client up here. And most of the time by the ocean surfing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's how I found you through kind of knowing your work that you're doing regarding surfing and working with queer people and surfing. And yeah, could you tell me about... I mean, gosh, I think a lot of our conversation is probably going to be about like being a gay person and a surfer. That's my experience. And I've had my own personal journey with kind of first not feeling like I belonged in surfing and now trying to kind of find my place in that sport again now as an adult. But I guess like starting there, tell me about what you're doing in the world right now regarding kind of surfing and working with LGBTQ plus people. So living in Norway and coming out in the surfing community, suddenly realized that there weren't a whole lot of other gay surfers in Norway, Mm. Uh, especially on the guy side. There are a couple of girls that I knew about, 
but not that many guys that were surfing and like into that whole lifestyle. Like, of course, I've met a lot of people that have tried surfing on vacation once 10 years ago or something like, yeah, right. but they wouldn't call themselves surfers even. And I was kind of like, and growing up, because I grew up in the church and in the Christian community, there weren't a whole lot of gay people in the Christian community either. So once I came out and then started surfing and got into that community, I was like, hmm, I really want to try to connect with people that are into the same kind of activities as I am. So that are into surfing and that lifestyle and so on. And then I didn't find anyone kind of in my local community physically. I was like, there's got to be more people out there. So I started on Instagram searching for all the hashtags and everything. And as I kind of like started to post my own stuff on Instagram and hashtagged it, I suddenly got a lot more gay surfers that was starting to follow me. Mm. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. Maybe there could be a community here. And so uh, somehow I started to talk to people and getting to know all sorts of people. And I thought all of these people has got some amazing stories and they should be told. But I wanted it to not be told in a typically interview kind of way where I just send a bunch of questions and then they write it down and send it back and I publish it. Mm. So what I've tried to do, and also because I'm trying to expand my knowledge in writing, Mm. I sit down, have an interview with them on Zoom or whatever. And then I sit down and I write like a short story on them. So it's uh, more of their story being told than an interview kind of thing. Then I also started a podcast called Surfer Gay, where we kind of just babble and talk about all of the different things about being gay in the surf. And then I have one of my straight friends joining that one. So I'll have a little bit of different perspective. And also where I can have that perspective of uh, some straight people that are from the outside of the queer uh, community actually asking all the different questions that people might wonder. And then we mm-hmm. can kind of go from there. So one of the, my favorite episodes is the grinder episode where we kind of go through my grinder setup <laughs> uh, and to, like kind of just like teaching her about all the different tribes and all the different positions and how like grinder is working and all you know all of these things after a while but for someone that aren't in the community aren't queer at all they haven't heard about all these different things and how kind of you enter into this world. So for them, it's quite fascinating. Yes. So that's some of what we talked about there. Oh, that's great. Oh my gosh. I have so many things I want to say. You know, on that last point, it's interesting how your podcast sounds like it serves a couple different functions. One, it's like you're having this interesting conversation with a straight person and you're able to kind of invite her into the queer experience. And through that, I think it's a better way to tell the queer experience. So that's cool. But then also you've created this hub and community for gay surfers. And I just was so struck by that. And I'm really touched at how when you started this Instagram kind of exploring on hashtag this fine, hey, yeah, are there other gay surfers out there? There are, and they're seeking community because, yeah. you know, historically gay people have really been kept out of the surf industry, the sport of surfing. Yeah. And it hasn't necessarily been a safe place for gay people. Yet, yeah. gay people surf, just like straight people surf. You know what I mean? And oh, that's so cool. And which is kind of cool for me because oh, when I come out to the surfing scene in Norway, yeah. I was kind of like a little wary about how would people react knowing that I was gay. Yeah. But coming out into the surfing community, in Norway, like I started surfing four years ago. Uh-huh. So this would be back in 2018. Yeah. 
So Nori is pretty progressive in that way. So when I came out and people started to know me and found out that I was gay, there weren't any big surprises or anything. They were like, okay, fine. Mm. Like, cool. Uh, just don't drop in on me. <laughs> <Right>. Totally. <laughs> like just follow the normal etiquette and then you're fine. Yes. And, or people would cheer me on or like, mm-hmm. you know, like just being polite or just like sharing the surf stroke. So for me, surfing has been such a comforting place to be because Everyone is there. It's just like, it's such a small community. We all like suiting up, getting into the winter storms, uh, freezing. You got to have some balls to like bother to change into Mm -hmm. a wetsuit going surfing in the Arctic in minus five degrees, winting, hailing storms. Yeah. And then he's like, if you're gay, straight or whatever, if you're going out there, you get some respect either way. Yes. Yes. And how did you mention starting surfing four years ago? How did you get into it? I used to work as a personal trainer and uh, I was like semi-good uh, ultra marathon runner. And I lived in Oslo, the capital of Norway. Mm-hmm. And I was doing my personal trainer business and everything. And it was going really good. I uh, did some work with the municipalities and somehow I did a good job. So they wanted to me to come in and work full-time for them. Mm. And I was like, oh, that sounds too safe. I'm not quite sure if I want that. So I told my bosses like, let me have a look around in the world to see whether I should be. So I started looking jobs in New York or far out in the countryside of Norway. Found a gig up in Lofoten. And I was like, looks amazing. Sounds like a cool place. I'm going to go. Never been there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, there's mountains up there to run in. That's perfect. Went up, started running up in the mountains and all of that. And I kind of realized like, if I'm going to keep on continuing doing this where I'm running six or seven hours a day addition after work, I'm not going to get to know anyone out here. Mm. So I start to look around like, what are people doing up here? Mm. What are all like the people that I want to hang out with? What are they doing? Mm. And they were surfing. Mm. And I was like, mm, let's try it. And then I just bought us a surfboard. We got a wetsuit and jumped in the ocean and started paddling. And I haven't looked back ever since. Oh, cool. Cool. Okay. I want to know more about what <laughs> happens next in that chapter. But first, let's rewind a little bit. I'm curious to hear about you and your personal story kind of where it began and how it began for you. You mentioned a little bit about growing up, but yeah. How would you share about that beginning part of your story, the growing up years? So as I mentioned, I was adopted from the Philippines when I was a baby. Mm -hmm. And I was adopted to Norway, which is Christian kind of religious country. But the town or the island where I was adopted to is like, I would call it like the main conservative island. Mm -hmm. It's in the Bible belt of Norway. So it's pretty conservative. So growing up, but it was such a good community. People cared about you. They were like friendly. There wasn't a lot of hate crimes or anything. Like the crime rate was low and it was safe and people knew you and people were friendly. Mm. So in that way, it was safe. And Mm. most of the activities were through the church. So we kind of grew up in the church. As we were getting into our youth, we got more responsibility. We were running our own youth meetings and we could kind of dabble around and trying all these different things. Like I think I had the responsibility for everything from like economics to web design, to art, to uh, acting, to dancing, to hosting a service, to running the lights, you know, like Mm -hmm. you just try everything and you kind of find yourself or kind of test out different talents and to see where you kind of fit in. So in that way, like I grew up in this beautiful surroundings where uh, it was so safe and so comforting, but also with that conservative mind where people are going to go up, uh, you're going to go get a job. You're not going to question a lot of things, but you're just going to 
keep your head down, do the hard work, get a wife or start a family, get two kids, preferably three kids, get a dog, a station wagon and a house. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do that. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the whole normal expectancy mm. thing. And I'm pretty sure when I grew up as well, like I never really had any gay uh, role models. There weren't a lot of gay people in our area. And I'm kind of old-ish. So like back in the mid-90s, like we didn't have a lot of TV shows, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, like we didn't have social media. Internet was just arising. So Mm -hmm. we never really had these influences as you do now more easily. So I never really had the vocabulary to understand what my feeling mm. were. And I never really had like that big crush on any of the guys. So I kind of just realized like I never really fell in love with any of the girls. Like my mates starting to like flirt with different girls and girls were flirting with the guys and they're kind of hooking up-ish kind of thing. As we were young, they was like, hugging right. and then it kind of progressively went more and more totally. uh, mm. as you, you should <laughs> and then somehow I ended up going to this private boarding school which is also Christian conservative school and there was nobody and no gay guys there mm. at least openly mm-hmm. and I tried to date girls you know like you're trying to do everything but I always in the back of my mind I knew like I like guys more and one of the things that kind of did it for me is um, because there was this one TV show that was like my sexual awakening, mm. which I'm calling mm. it. Uh, and it was um, Pacific Blue. Yeah. I don't know if you know that series. Like, it's a good old series. Like, it's at uh, Santa Monica Cruz, uh, Santa Monica Boulevard, yes. uh, the bicycling police. Yes. Like, they're wearing this uh, sh- short, short uh, bicycling pants and like tight tops mm-hmm. where like their muscles kind of bulging. Right. Uh, and you had like this uh, a little bit older, but like handsome, fit guys. And then you had like this, I would also say the girls weren't that young, uh, mm. but it might just be in my mind. But mm. they were also like not necessarily 20. They were like a little bit older, and but also beautiful and like amazing bodies. But I always knew that like we always like look at the guys and like, oh, wonder how it would be to kiss that guy or mm. like get a hug from him or whatever. <laughs> So that's like kind of like how I started like knowing that like uh, maybe I'm more into guys, but I never really put it into words when I was a kid. Yeah. How old would you say you were at that point when you found Pacific Blue? Like where are you at in your story? Uh, like 13, 14. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And yeah, and when you started getting more aware of those feelings for guys, like how do you remember feeling about that? Were you like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way or, oh, this is interesting. Well, how did you feel about having those feelings? Oh. Like when it was just myself, I felt like it was amazing and it was kind of exciting. But then I kind of distanced that part from all of my other friends. So the life, uh, I kind of separated my life into different lives. Like the one that I was private, that was for me, that was like nobody would know how it was. And it was just me and my thoughts and my fantasies and ideas. Mm -hmm. And then it was like my external life where my public life, as I called it, where I kind of like looked or acted picture perfect. Yes. Oh gosh. I mean, I think that is such a shared experience amongst the greater LGBTQ community of being at that place when we're growing up and we're trying to understand and make sense of our identity, maybe even hiding our identity of kind of splitting, having kind of our queerness kind of exist in the secret private world. And then on the outside, we're kind of existing as a whole other type of person. And there's a splitting of that, which is, can be confusing and complex for folks. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then as you're kind of growing up, if you're not open about it, like those two worlds are just being two different worlds and they can grow so far yeah. apart. And it's so hard to merge them back right. in together. Like the further you let them grow apart, the harder it is to merge them back in together, I would say. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's also been a theme of this show and conversations with folks of learning how to kind of reintegrate kind of those two worlds in two parts. Absolutely. Yeah. That would be my second lesson, like mm. getting those two to merge and trying to navigate and manage how to deal with all of those things. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I want to hear about that. Okay, wait. Yeah, before going there, yeah. <laughs> what happened next? After being 13-year-old, having these feelings for Pacific Blue and the, the men on this show, what, yeah. did, what happened next as you were a teenager? So uh, I was kind of growing up with it. And I had a, uh, my exchange student year in the States where I thought like, oh, this is year where I can just live freely as myself. Mm. And I kind of did, but I wasn't really having the words to put on my feelings. So I, I kind of just knew that like boys were interesting, but I never had anyone that I really liked, liked like in my real life. Mm. They were always just like, oh, this movie star or this TV star is like, they were always like, somewhat distant yeah. to another like in my presence. So uh, I went to the States uh, and I kind of could reinvent myself. Mm. So I started using my middle name, which is Carlos. Mm. And when I came over there and they heard this guy were coming that was named Carlos, and they all thought there was this huge Mexican guy that would come. Mm. And then this like tiny little Filipino came mm. in claiming that he was from Norway, mm. which they were like all confused about. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. I'm kind of confused as well, so it's fine. <laughs> but then I was like, I start just living as I would live. Mm. Like, yeah, truly as myself, but not necessarily flirting with any girls or with any guys, mm. but just like trying to get in touch with what my feelings were. And I realized I could do sports and I, I realized a lot of stuff with myself that year, mm. which I kind of brought back to Norway once uh, my exchange student year were done, mm. but I never really came out. So I just kept that part to myself. I knew that like, I was pretty convinced that like, I like guys, mm. like girls are my thing. I'm supposed to, and I'm going to keep on trying to do that because I, I haven't really met anyone that I fell in love with. These days, I probably would have thought that I was asexual or something. Mm. But back in the days where I didn't know any of the words or any of the categories or really knew anything, I just like, oh, I just haven't found the right one. Mm. But I never really had any crushes on guys either. So mm. I was like, yeah, but uh, like I was watching porn. So I was watching gay porn and all of these things. Uh, so it's like, yeah, I knew kind of I was gay, but I never really came out about it. But I started to get to in touch with my own feelings and just lived as I wanted to. Just my love life or that part of my life weren't integrated in any part of my rest of my life. Yeah. Again, I think that happens for a lot of us. Is, yeah. Okay, we shut off our love life. We shut off our romantic and sexual selves in a sense and kind of, okay, yeah. try to just develop ourselves in other ways and focus our attention elsewhere on who we are because we yeah. don't know how to kind of bring in to the fold, bring into the mix and let our romantic and sexual selves be here because we're kind of told by the outside world, hey, no, we can't be this yeah. queer person. We have to keep this separate. Ugh, yeah. What's it like in this moment, kind of looking back? This is like late teenage years. How old are you at this time? I'm like 18, 19 years. What's that like to kind of right now think about 18-year-old you going through that? 
Oh, uh, because I also went through uh, eating disorder at that time. Mm, mm. So I went into anorexia, which mm-hmm. also turned into bulimic uh, disorders. <sighs> so I was like struggling because, and it wasn't really of like wanting to be thin or something. It was just like, I don't know, I was hurting in some way and I wanted to feel good. Mm-hmm. And like, I didn't get any sexual attention from any other guys or girls. Mm-hmm. So I was like, just kind of a little bit all over the place. And I kind of just went into eating disorder or anorexic or bulimic to kind of control something, which was super bad. And I was kind of working through that because I also went to theology school Mm. because I thought like I should probably be a priest. Somehow that's what I thought I would be. And then I was working through that during that time. And it was always like, I have this perfect picture of what I should be Mm. and how I should be presented. Mm. And as you said, I've just shut off like the whole sexual part of my life like that is not supposed to be in the public that's supposed to be private mm-hmm. and all of the other stuff I can do and I'm just going to do them as good and with so much power and energy so nobody would even ask me of all the other stuff yeah totally yeah Mm-hmm. And I just want to say thank you for letting us into this part of your story and sharing about this history with disordered eating. I think like, unfortunately, that's such a common experience for queer people, particularly in our adolescence or younger years, but even throughout adulthood. For different reasons, people kind of have that experience. But definitely, as you spoke to, we often need to feel like we have control over something when we feel out of control in so many other ways. Yeah. And it can so manifest in a disordered eating experience. And so I appreciate you naming that. Oh, and yeah. Yeah. And so I guess after that period of time, what was the next part of your journey? What happened next? So I was kind of about to like really take charge of my identity and like working through my whole gayness mm-hmm. and uh, queerness and like trying to define that. But then another major thing happened in my life where I was tracked down by my biological parents. Wow. Wow. And that kind of shot me into a different direction than I thought it would be. Yeah. So then I had to kind of like, okay, I'm just going to put myself on hold and figure out how am I going to deal with having two sets of parents. Mm. Like yeah, suddenly these biological parents that I never really thought of or heard of, they kind of knocked on my door because they found me through a private investigator. So they tracked me down and suddenly they were just dropping into my email on the day before Christmas Eve. And I really didn't have anyone to talk to. So that kind of threw me on a loop. I had to work through those emotions, which is a whole other chapter. Oh yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So that kind of put my coming out like back with five years. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking about, I think for LGBTQ people who are also adoptees, there's can almost be this more complex question of who am I at different points of our life, yeah. right? And kind of having to yeah. really tackle our different aspects of identity. But that who am I question can really be even more complex for someone with an adoption experience. And so I can only imagine. Yeah. Because you're always asking yourself, like, is this really me? Mm. And who am I really? Or do I really belong here? Like I always have the feeling of imposter syndrome and I still kind of do, but you're not Norwegian enough, but you're not Asian enough. Like when the Asian people come over and start talking to me, I don't share their same cultural references because I didn't grow up in that culture, but I still have the same look as they do. And then a lot of Norwegian wouldn't kind of qualify me as a Norwegian either because I don't have the skin tone to it. Mm. So you always like, you kind of feel like you're not there and you always have like the feeling of, oh, 
I'm so different from everyone else or I'm not supposed to be here. And kind of feeling kind of excluded yes. and trying to find your footmark. And at least for me, I made a lot of stories growing up of why I was adopted and like the whole background story of why someone would give me up or like not want to have me. And then as suddenly like they were there and it's like, we gave you up for a totally different reason and then have to like, oh, so my whole belief system that I had growing up is now shifting, which makes it like the whole ground is shaking and you really need to just establish yourself like, okay, so this is changing. It's like, how is this affecting of how I look at myself? How is this affecting my relationship to my adoptive parents and that family? How is that affecting what I'm going to do for a living and so on. You're kind of just getting thrown into a life crisis. Absolutely. Wow. Gosh, I can only imagine what that was like. Holy smokes. Yeah. As you're speaking to little you develop this certain set of beliefs about the why of your story and kind of what that means for you and who you are. And then when your biological parents came around and really gave you kind of the truth that totally shifted with how you would come yeah. to kind of perceive yourself and your story and all of that. Whoa. Sounds like that became like a period of time of just like both getting answers, but also asking a lot of questions. Yeah. God, what was all that like? And what happened next? Goodness. It was crazy. And I started off being super angry because I was like, who are these people? What do they want? Like I was questioning their motives. Would they want money? Like I'm coming from Philippines. It's not necessarily a rich country. I was like, I'm a student. I'm a, I have my student loan. I'm not wealthy, but living in Norway, we kind of are wealthy compared to the rest of the world. Mm. But anyway, mm. so I was like, what do they want? Uh, and I was mad at the adoption agency that kind of allowed them to find me mm. because they had given out my personal information to them so mm. they could track me down. So it's all of these different things that kind of made me angry in the beginning. And in the beginning, I also thought I was angry with uh, my biological parents. Mm. But um, as I kind of start putting into words and start writing a little bit, I kind of realized that it was the adoption agency that kind of violated my rights mm. that I was mad at. And that shifted my perspective with my biological parents. And then I could start developing some sort of a relationship with them. First through emails because uh, there was no social media. And then after like Messenger came around, we started typing messages to each other. So it took me about six years from the first contact till I went to see my biological dad, which lives in Canada. And it took me about two or three more years until I went down to see my biological mother in Philippines. So now like looking back at it, like, 10 years down the line or 15 years down the line, it's pretty good. Like we have a relationship, like I can chat with them. Like last summer, I wanted to see this uh, documentary on a streaming service and it was only in Canada. I sent my biological father a message like, hey, can you like make a profile on this Canada streaming service? You need a Canada credit card to be able to create it, but it's only for seven days. So like it's free for seven days. And he's like, sure. Here's your username. Here's your password. Watch it. Let me know when you watch it and I'll take it down again. Mm. And so I did. And it was like amazing to just like be able to have that kind of communication. Yes, totally. That's a little example, but it totally reflects kind of this bigger part of the relationship you're able to have now. Yeah. Wow. 
Gosh, okay, it sounds like that's been a journey over these last 15 years or so with regards to your biological father and mother. And so I'm struck by how that part of your experience was all happening at kind of at the same time you were also dealing with internally kind of your sexuality and trying to understand and be okay with that. What happened next as you were kind of going through later teens into early 20s with that? So the whole biological parents kind of thing happened in my early to mid-20s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was an overachiever. Mm. I worked full-time, I studied full-time, and I did like between 20 and 30 hours of volunteer work a week. Wow. So I wow. was like busy. I got up 6 in the morning to do my workout, uh, went to work at 8 o'clock, finished work, went to my second workout, studied from 6 o'clock in the evening till 9 o'clock. And I was kind of like social from 9 till uh, 11 and then headed back to bed again. So that was like my weeks, like every day was kind of like just packed. I haven't really figured out yet if that was just a coping mechanism, which I think it was mm. because I didn't want to deal with my sexuality. I was having enough to deal with my biological parents and all of that. So I just kept on working and whatever time I had left, I could deal with processing all of this new information and my new relationships. And then I just kind of like, ah, oh, Sexual identity, don't need it. Not going to be sexual active in these years. Just like put it away. Nobody's going to know about it. And also like doing my volunteer work, I was one of the leaders in my church, which is also a conservative church. And I'm Mm. pretty sure that coming out then would mean that I would have to let go of all of that as well. Uh, So I didn't want to do that either. Like we had one incidence where one of our drummers were out clubbing one weekend and he got a little bit too drunk. Mm which made us take him off stage and he couldn't perform anymore. So that was like the level, how do we want them to be? Mm. And I knew like for me being ahead of all the creative arts, if I were to come out, I would probably have to leave and it would make a big fuss and all of that. Mm. So I was like, I'm not willing to sacrifice that yet. Mm. So I kind of just let it be. And from all sorts of people like, so that guy, isn't that guy gay? Like he's surely is homosexual. They would ask my leaders and my ministers and they were like, no, no, he's metrosexual, which were qualified as like a straight guy, which is just into clothes. Mm. And I kind of like, once he said that about me before he said it to me, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, that's fine. But they also gave me a reason or something to hide behind. Mm. Like, oh, I'm just metrosexual. So that's fine. Like they didn't want to own up to or even have the conversation with me being gay or not. They just like labeled me with something else. And they was like, so this is fine. We don't have to talk about it. Just let's keep on moving because I was doing all of this volunteer work that was so crucial to the church and the growth. Mm. So they didn't want to let me go either. Mm. So that kind of like where my late teens up till mid twenties, it was just kind of busy working and trying to find like a new footing. Right. And not feeling like, okay, I can't come out. I got to sacrifice that. I got to just lean into focusing and doing this work. And when did that eventually change for you? So we did like this massive generation change in our church, Mm. which made them kind of like, okay, we can let you go now because I was, I'd been there for such a long period Mm. and I'd build up this creative arts side of the church. Like we went from me being the only volunteer to I had about a hundred volunteers that was reporting to me. Mm. So then we kind of grew and we changed management and everything. So I could kind of like step down and step out of the church. Mm. So I did. And then I just decided to move out of that city and move to Oslo, the capital. And I told myself, like, 
this is the time where you can work on yourself and you can figure out all of this sexual side of you. Yeah. Give yourself time for that. So I gave myself a year to kind of like wrestle with it. Oh, and yeah. How old were you during that time? And also, what did that year of wrestling look like for you? I was about 26 or 27. Okay. So because I was still identify as a Christian person. So with that background, I was like, okay, so how am I going to do this with my faith? Mm -hmm. And if I'm going to come to terms being gay and being open about it, how is this going to affect my beliefs and my faith? So I had to kind of go through the whole Bible to read and to kind of meditate and working through everything to see like what will be the comments of me, how am I going to be attacked from the community of coming out and all of these things. Like I just wanted to know everything because I came from this conservative side. So like me coming through this, I was like looking at this from a conservative perspective, but also from me wanting to be me. And trying to find like, how can I kind of merge these two belief system or identities together? Like, I want to be a Christian. I want to still want to have the faith, but I also want to be me and live fully as a person. It was just kind of like working through the Bible, mm. kind of figuring out like, what is my thoughts of all of these different things? Like, what kind of questions am I going to get from people? Like, what are they going to ask about? And what do I think about it? Like, all of these things. So I kind of like just went through all of that. When I came out, I like I had my communication plan. I knew who I was going to tell the first. Like I had a list of like, okay, I check off Mark this, this, this person. I made myself a deadline. I need to do it within this kind of a time frame because back in the days, I was kind of fairly known person within the Christian community. So I knew like the minute I started opening up, it's going to travel really fast. Mm. So I needed to know that I was the one telling my parents and my family. So I was like, okay, don't tell anyone until this date because I was going to a bachelor party to one of my friends. And I was like, I have about 20 minutes with my parents that weekend. That's my time frame. Like I was driving from the city out to our island. It's a 20 minutes drive. I was like, that's it. Like those are the 20 minutes I have time to come out to my mother. Whoa, whoa. Uh, and and did you or what did that yeah, look yeah. like? Whoa. So I flew into Christiansand, mm. went to a birthday party for one of my friends, grabbed her aside and was like, hey, I don't want to crash your party, but I'm gay. So just wanted you to know. And this is also me coming out to all of you guys. And they were super happy and supportive and everything. And then I had to go to this bachelor party. I got picked up by my mother. Mm. I was driving. And then I was like, yes, mother, I need to tell you something. So... Uh, and she's like, okay, what's going to happen? And I was like, I don't know if you know, but I've been struggling a little bit back and forth, but I'm coming out as a homosexual. And she's like, okay. We were talking a little bit like, how long have you known this and everything? And then by the end of the conversation, uh, she was like, so I only have three things that I want to tell you. First, bring home a good dude if you're going to bring home someone. <laughs> I'm like, fine. And she's like, and also wear protection. Like, I don't want you to get sick. And also just be true to yourself. Wow. And I'm like, okay, good. Whoa. I can do that. And then was like, that support is so meaningful. Mm. Like she's just like, yeah, okay, this is good. Like I'm afraid for you. I'm worried that you're going to get a much harder life mm. because of where we're living and all of our surroundings. Mm. But this is what I want from you. 
she was like, don't bring home any douches. And I'm like, that's fine. I'll, I'll try. <laughs> wow. Oh, what a yeah. sweet response from her. Was that expected or unexpected? I was kind of expecting her to have a good sense about it, but I didn't know. You never really know how someone would react. So I was like a little worried, but not too much because from the work that she's been doing with youth earlier, mm. I kind of known she has heard pretty much everything. So yeah. I, I was like, this can't hardly be the worst thing you ever heard. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. Oh, how sweet. Wow. Okay. So like coming out really started. You started to kind of let people know that this is who you are. Curious, like what happened next in that journey? Earlier in the conversation, you mentioned like your second adolescence really involved kind of bringing together those two worlds that were previously put apart. Yeah. Yes. Like tell me about that. What was all of that process? So coming out and coming out in the church and everything, like in the beginning, I just came out and it's like, yeah, I'm a homosexual, I'm gay and everything. And But I never really brought that part of my life into the church mm. because like this church that I'm still active in uh, is still not allowing gay people to become leaders. Mm. Mm. So I never really brought that side of me into church. It was just still the distant part. I was just more open about it. Like I would uh, have my whole sexual awakening and that would be fine. But I wouldn't bring that into church. I would just do that out clubbing and exploring mm. the whole menu. Mm -hmm. I told myself, you can do anything once or anyone <laughs> once mm -hmm. and all sorts of, you're not going to discriminate of any body types right. or anything. Yes. Just try them all and then you find out like what you like. Great. And yet, like, what was that like? What was it like to be able to start to have more of this sexual liberation and Ooh. awakening? Yeah. That summer, that was so much fun. <gasps> because suddenly like, I was like, I have to make up for like 20 years here. People have been sexual active for 20 years. I haven't really started that game. So I just need to get on it. I downloaded it. I don't know if we had Grinder back then, but at least I'd, I had like this webpage where I was chatting with these guys. And it's like, hey, are you wanting to hook up? Yeah, yeah, let's go. One guy was into watching horror movies as our Netflix and chill. Huh? And I was like, mm, not my thing, <laughs> right. thing but like, okay, okay let's, <laughs> let's try it. Uh-huh. Yeah, you were open. You were curious. Yeah. Just the open, curious, just trying out mm -hmm all kinds of sorts of things mm. and also staying safe, of course, mm. but still like trying it out. And then somehow within that, I was like trying to kind of navigating. I was like, oh, I'm into this or maybe not so much into this. But then I still kept these two lives apart. Mm. Like I would go out clubbing and doing all of these things, but then also being active in church and being that on the Sunday service. I really never really got them to live side by side. And like now I'm the poster boy for this revelation within the church, giving gay rights in our church community mm -hmm. because I was the first openly gay person that was still active within the church community. Wow. So I'm like still trying to like fight those kind of things. And there are more people coming into church now that are gay after I came out and we were open about it. Wow which is good, but we're still kind of trying to fight it and kind of navigate that. And so I'm trying to kind of like merge them in together mm -hmm. and like slowly but surely it kind of merges a little bit, mm -hmm. but it takes time. Mm -hmm. But that's where I kind of found surfing is like where I could be totally myself, mm -hmm. being gay, doing like crazy gay stuff, but also being surfing, being the surf bomb, living in a van. But also being a drag queen, if I wanted to, just stepping out of the van, 10 inches high heels with a 
huge wig and lashes and glitter bumps all over me and then just going in and being a drag queen for the night if I wanted to. So it's like, you know, you have like this all different uh, perspectives where I was like, oh, I found a community, like the surfer community where I could just, it was totally fine to just be me Mm. and be me how I wanted it to be that day. Oh, today I want to be the drag or today I just want to be a surf bump going around in like some beat out shorts and a wrinkly t-shirt or smelly t-shirt or whatever and then just go surfing. Or like I wanted to dress up and be all the super human drag that I wanted to be. Yeah. Wow. So that's where I kind of merged those two together and kind of finding that community like supportive, but also super fun. Wow. Oh my gosh. How cool that, yeah, surfing became this really first place where you were able to kind of more from the beginning of your participation in that community, being able to have your whole self there, all the parts of you yeah. there. Whereas it sounds like it's been a journey, of course, to bring the parts of yourselves together within the church. You have this long history of having to keep certain things separate. But with surfing, it sounds like you from the get-go felt freedom to kind of be whoever you are on that given day, bring all parts of you into the water, out of the water. I love this image of you kind of coming out of the water with your board into the van, <laughs> then you exit the van in full drag. I just love that as just like a symbol for what uh, this chapter oh, yeah. and what surfing is for you. That's so yeah. special. And that's where I'm like, but I want more gay people to experience this kind of a community. Mm. Because for me, this community has been so liberating and so welcoming and so inclusive. As inclusive as surfer community can be because, you know, localism and all of that. But Mm. that apart, becoming a part of a community and a local surf spot and how they have integrated me into it and how you are able to just live freely and be yourself. That's kind of what we all wanted. But I kind of wanted to introduce more gay people into this environment because it is such a good and supportive environment. Mm, Absolutely. Gosh, I'm just so struck how you have used your story to be someone who's like seeking to create more space for gay people, both in your church by kind of being this visible representation of someone who is LGBTQ in your church and trying to allow and invite for more queer people to come in as well. Like that's a role and that's an undertaking and it's not an easy thing to do and you're doing it there. And then through all your work with Surfer Gay, the magazine and the podcast and on Instagram, like you're creating a space and a community for more gay surfers to find each other and to feel less alone and to feel like the sense of belongingness in this sport that perhaps has kept them feeling on the outside and this world that have kept them feeling on the outside. Oh, how has it been for you since starting this work? I mean, I've read a few of the stories on the online magazine and I love it. How has it been for you to kind of be meeting these people, having these conversations? Gosh, yeah. It's been so amazing. What I'm kind of like really wanting to trying to set up now is start to travel around and meeting like in real life, because now I've only done it like through online or virtual meetings and stuff. I so badly just want to start traveling around and meeting and I wanted to become better in creating content or creating stories. Mm. So I'm going to use like the next couple of years to just like train myself in it. Mm. But I want to travel around the world and finding these people and try to tell their story and kind of create while creating this community where we can all kind of support each other or just listen to the different stories. Because for me, like interviewing and talking to all of these different surfers around the world, they all come with their different stories and their different challenges. But 
as you kind of also know, like there are some things that are similar to each other or we can learn from each other's experience. Mm. And a lot of the guys that I talk to is like, but my story isn't that spectacular. I'm like, no, but you still are open about it. And that's a journey and people are inspired by it or motivated by it or feel comforted by it. So whose every story, like it's your story. And I want to tell it because it's a great story because you're a great person kind of thing. And I'm looking forward to the day where I can take a camera and just travel around and like go surfing with them, filming them, like just doing these portrait interviews of people showing people how it's possible to be themselves and surf or just be themselves doing what they love, whether it's surfing or whatever it may be. Mm. It's just like, I love surfing and I don't want to travel to places where there's no surf. (laughs) Gosh, Patrick, I'm so touched by you and your story and the work you're doing and this mission. I see what you already have created is so powerful. And I am really curious to keep watching what you're doing as you go forward because there's such potential and opportunity here. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, Okay. But before we wind down, I got to let you go in a little bit. Was there anything else that hasn't been shared in this conversation that wants to be shared or said before we look at winding down. So this could be like a semi-plug. I'm also trying to make all of my story and journey into a book. Yeah. So that's why I'm kind of moved up to the mountains now because I have a new client up here helping them with some stuff, but it also required me to move up to the mountains and staying far up in the mountains Mm -hmm. where there aren't a lot of stuff to do. So I'm like, okay, next six months is going to be working on the Surfer Magazine and also working on my book. So I'm trying to like figuring out how am I going to try to get it published in a normal way mm. or am I just going to write a blog about it? Like to giving those chapters out for free. Yeah. Like it's been a journey writing this story down where from the get-go where my belief system were something and how it got torn away and how I had to find my footing again. I kind of going through this kind of what this conversation has been, but just more in depth and more of my thoughts and feelings and how it did challenge me and how I dealt with it. Ooh, okay, cool. Okay, so this conversation is kind of like a preview for what the book, it sounds like it's going to be a memoir of you and your story. Oh, awesome. Up until now. (laughs) Awesome. Oh my gosh, great. Okay, so if people wanted to stay connected with you and also the work you're doing right now, but also be in touch whenever this book and your writing comes out, like what's the best way for people to be in touch? So the best way is through Instagram or the online magazine. So both the surfer.gay magazine, uh, both online and on Instagram, and also my private account. All of those three are super easy to get in touch. And I'm pretty much online all the time. Great. Okay. Fantastic. (laughs) I'll link to both of those, your personal account and the Surfer Gay account in the show notes. So if people want to follow and and get connected, they can. Yeah. Yeah. Well, gosh, Patrick, I'm so touched from this conversation. It was so great to meet you. And I so appreciate you letting us all in to your story in the way you did in all parts of it. I'm sure there's more of your story perhaps to be told, but from what we got a glimpse of today, I just feel so appreciative of you and coming on. Because yeah, telling queer stories is so important and we all have a different one. Yeah. By telling stories, we help ourselves and we help each other. And mm. and I'm so happy that you actually have this podcast. Like once we connected and uh, you asked me to send over, I was like, second one, it's like, ah, oh, that is so spot on to like what I felt like coming out. Mm. It's like, oh, my youth starts all over again. Now I get to experience, but now fully as myself. Mm. And I mean, like people that hasn't gone through that experience doesn't know really what it's like. 
And I'm so happy to start like connecting with more queer people across the world because living in this kind of small communities, you don't have that many people that has shared those experiences. And sometimes it's just nice to talk with someone or chat with someone that kind of understands where you're from. So I'm just happy that you are doing this mm, podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that. I'm happy too. Selfishly, it's such yeah. a gift. I mean, I'm sure you're having the same experience with the people you talk to and you write about as well. Yeah, it's really special. Yeah. Mm. Well, okay. We got to stay in touch. I'm so curious to see what comes <laughs> next for you. And oh, this is just so great. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks. Hey, thanks for joining us for today's conversation. Feel free to head on over to secondadolescencepod.com for show notes and more. And you can connect further by following the show on Instagram at, at secondadolescencepod. If you're interested in being a future guest on the show and you want to come on and share about your own second adolescence, visit secondadolescencepod.com slash be a guest and you can submit your interest there. All right, that's it for me for now. Whether it's morning, afternoon, night, wherever we're finding you in your day, go on out there and keep doing things that would make younger you absolutely thrilled. That is what it's all about. Mm. All right, take good care.